0: This episode of the Better Every Shift podcast is brought to you by Lexipol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit Lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Now let's get into the show.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Better Every Shift podcast. My name is Aaron Zamzo. I am a firefighter training officer in Madison, Wisconsin, and your host. Happy to be here. But of course, I am not alone. I am uh, with uh, and, and my captain and uh, the editor in chief, the, uh, the wheels behind uh, this whole well, the wheels on the bus, really, is what she is. And uh, obviously, the brainchild of this podcast, Janelle Fasquette. How are you, Janelle?
0: I'm doing great. How are you?
1: I am good. I, uh, I was listening to The Clash today, and uh, they have a song called Should I Stay or Should I Go? If I go, there will be trouble, and if I stay, there will be double. And that's the theme, really, that we're going to have today. Uh, we're going to talk about go or no-go situations, and we got a great person uh, who wrote just a brilliant article with um, Fire Rescue One. Vince Bentonazzi is here. How are you doing, Vince? Good, I'm guys. Sorry, tra- training Chief Vince Bentonazzi. Yes.
2: Yes, sir. Thank you very much. It's 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 awesome to be here. I, I appreciate the opportunity to be on the uh, podcast.
1: Well, you wrote a great article, and you have some good knowledge. You're down in in uh, Myrtle Beach uh, with them, and you're now, uh, as I just mentioned, the uh, training chief uh, down there. And uh, you also host a podcast called Beyond the Stretch. Um, you write great articles here for Fire Rescue One, including um, uh, the the most recent special about uh, go or no-go decision-making on the fire ground, which uh, we'll dig into a little bit. We have that theme, um, but we'll also talk about other things, um, you know, all things fire-related. And, uh, you know, uh, how are things in Myrtle Beach, by the way, besides warm and
2: pleasant? Uh, It's just starting to be kind of our ramp-up to the season. Uh, Memorial Day kind of kicks everything off for us, and then we're full go through the summer until... They always say, they lie to us, they say Labor Day, everyone goes home, but... No one is seeming to go home. Actually, they all seem to be coming down here and moving here permanently. So, uh, yeah, like all the guys are excited. This is normally when um, you know we dust everything off, get super excited about the season. Guys like to be busy, uh, at least they they stop compl- or they start complaining a little bit after the fourth of July, and then we uh, like we said we're we're wheels off until uh, labor day or so.
1: which also b- brings challenges to you now. you have a new role as as the uh, training mm-hmm. chief there. Yep. And, um, and so how many people are you
2: responsible for their training? So uh, currently we have a recruit class of about 28 right now that that's full time with us uh, Monday through Friday. And then, uh, we have about a total of like a hundred and like 71, uh, line people out of the, in the whole organization that we, uh, oversee training. There's a, uh, there's two captains, uh, each is kind of, uh, over their own specialty ones over EMS uh, one's over fire training and then, and then myself. So there's just three officers handling that uh, that workload, which can just seem like it's daunting at times. And coming over uh, last September, I was uh, you know, given the interim title. Uh, we all know what that is that just uh, some, they're just lying to you until you they make it formal, right? So, uh, which is crazy because I felt, I was really honest with the guys, uh, training was something I've always been passionate about, but I never really saw myself like being in that formal role or capacity. And so I was like learning, I was kind of catching up. I was, I felt like I was definitely behind the curve and the two captains I work with have a lot of time on uh, a lot more significant time than me actually. So they've been great um, as far as like getting me up to speed and everything. So it's been just kind of learning. I feel like I'm almost like a recruit, uh, you know, learning how my role and my position there. So
1: yeah, you've, that's the way I feel every time we have a podcast, I feel like a new recruit with all the different guests that we have and just the the plethora of knowledge that that they've given and advice like you, it it kind of recharges you reinvigorates you a little bit
2: right yeah and it's 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 like i'm always when i'm when i'm talking or i'm doing a lecture and the captain one of the captains in the back of the room i'm always like looking at him like is that right like is that what i'm supposed to say and cuz you know the recruits are just like yes sir yes sir but like the the, the captain i don't want to be like hey like am i right and he's very good at giving me feedback and and everything too so but it's it's been fun. It's been fun. The biggest adjustment's been the schedule, and I think Aaron, like you said, I think you went over the training. Coming from all my adulthood life of 24/48 to to basically being home five days a week, to uh, do I, I'm sorry, doing a 40-hour work week, like it that was like the largest adjustment I think of the whole process, honestly. So,
1: yeah. Getting used to the, the, has your wife said the old, when do you go back to work? Like thing yet, right? Yeah, like it's, you, yeah. there's, that's part of the adjustment though. You know, <laughs> sleep is great, but then, <laughs> you know, I think both parties are like, Hey, uh, you know, when do you go? I had to, yeah.
2: I had to kick the dog out of the bed because, you know, he was used to every third day having, you know, being able to sleep there and stuff. And, uh, but, but my kids just kind of crawl in the bed anyway. I have two twin girls are six years old. So they always try to find their way into, they're in that, that phase but, uh, it's that's been like the biggest thing but it's also been nice to be to be able to get them up and get them ready for school and, and just like the little things that I guess I didn't realize I was missing until I had a new schedule so
1: yeah and and the, the other problem about being a training in training and new to training right you can't shut it off right? right like there's always things that you you talk about so I imagine when you're writing this paper you write a, a paper about vertical ventilation and and we'll get back to our go no go you know as you as you were tasked with this, this article, I'm sure you, there were numerous times you're like, Oh, I should think about this or research that. I mean, what's the first thing that kind of stands out to you that you discovered or found out when you're starting to, to research this topic?
2: Um, well, I wanted to be like related, relatable to my experiences and like, you know, where I've messed up or where I, I thought we had some success. Uh, but I basically reached out to a lot of people I knew just throughout my network of friends and uh, colleagues and just kind of like pick their brain about some, uh, some things that make them like either prompt them to either go ahead to give the green light to their crews or something that they're like, Hey, we're going to hold the reins back on this because like we kind of talked about before we got on go and no go is such an opinionated polarizing topic. Right? So what may be my philosophy or the way I think you put another battalion chief or somebody else running the instant scene, and it's a totally different mindset set or shift. So uh, that's really kind of where I went and looked for it. And when you talk about turning it off, like you're exactly right. I'm always looking for information, but now that you're the training guy, everyone's sending you information. My phone is constantly going, my email explodes, guys go to some conference or something, and they're, and they're sending me the information to pass along to the rest of the, uh, of the team I work with. So, it's uh, it's definitely, it's very interesting. But yeah, I try to like reach out and get a little bit of tidbits of information and and just look at different facets of how, I guess I could have wrote this article about the go and no go um, decision making.
1: Yeah, and you start with size up, and, and right, like it. There, there are some things when you relate go no go. Yeah, obviously we're talking about particular high stressful situations, but you know, and you do great great job in the article, and also I think what we were talking about, you know, off camera a little bit is look, the basics, the fundamentals are pretty much the same, right? You size up the event. That's how you start it. Right. Um, and, and so from there, take it from there. So you find out, all right, let's, what are you looking for, for your size ups, whether it's for vertical, vertical ventilation or you're on the fire ground, you know, as you research this, you're talking to other people. I mean, what what are some of the things you're like, yep, I get this. Or I didn't think of that.
2: Yeah. So, uh, the size up, like, I guess something I've kind of caught on, like latter part of my um, position as a line battalion chief, uh, we have an instant safety officer that's assigned to our shifts that that work, and it's kind of we have like a general like rule of how to to use that person, but it's not an absolute, right? So we we kind of like we're going through the process and stuff and. So often you you work on that initial size up. It's what that engine officer, or that truck officer, or even the rescue officer says when they first pull up their pat and they're looking through their windshield. And you just live in that like that, like two minute size up window. Right. And you have a, a two hour incident, but you've never you may have realized, hey, wow, it wasn't a two story house. It was a two and a half story or something, but you've never updated it. So one of the things that we talked about with our our safety officers is that we're like, hey, when you guys are doing a 360, if there's something that is wrong or it's not correct with the initial size up, like, it's okay for us to change that and update it. So one of the things I think I mentioned was getting a secondary size up. And uh, a couple of things I mentioned in the article was we, uh, I had a truck officer that's very, that was very progressive, uh, very, uh, he's probably one of the most cerebral person that people I've ever met as far as um, being a firefighter. And he would always do a 360 himself before ever initiating any type of uh, tactic. And I always thought that was actually really cool because he, he wanted to take the time to size up the building himself and read conditions. He didn't want to just rely on what that person's 30-second um, tidbit of information or or go off of somebody else's, I guess, radio message, right? So that was some of the stuff that we talked about. The size up needs to be ongoing, and it's okay for those those crews and those team members to – to take a step back and, and take a couple minutes, especially if they arrive a few minutes later than the initial uh, arriving unit, and just take that time to kind of like, all right, let's 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 take a breather, let's get all four sides of the building if we can, and then let's either go to the roof or figure out where's our, our best opportunity to, to ventilate the structure.
1: Yeah. When, and and this, we're talking about ventilation because that's what your article is. Yeah. We, we can also use this same kind of concept with, all right, there is um, a report of trap uh, victims in in um, in the structure and going to, uh, kind of down this road with UL, UL has really uh, just just came out with some some you know some great research about livable spaces and yep um and it's almost like we're kind of going back. It was you know we find out about all the UL research and and I think we've now been able to absorb that. A lot of uh, uh, departments have changed SOGs and policies uh, you know to accommodate that and then you know, they come out with, Hey, the other thing is we're so concerned about flow path. We also have to remember there's, we still have to do our search. And, mm-hmm. uh, even though the stuff can be burning hotter, there are areas where man, oh man, people can survive. And so, you know, part of that size up then, you know, you, we talked about vertical ventilation. How does that
2: change then if we're doing search? Right. Uh, searchable space, identifying it. That was another thing that we've, and I literally were just, we had a group of us just talking about this, you know, uh, when we went through, so when, before my time as a, as a, as a ship commander, uh, as a backseat firefighter, or even a company officer, there wasn't that information. Right. And so like, we were passed on this knowledge of like, it's traditional searches, it's right hand, it's left hand, it's going through the front door. It's always the, you know, and, uh, to now where you have that information, but it's like someone has to break that mold and pass on that that information and, and basically I hate to say the word permit, but allow these these people on these instance scenes to carry out those tactics. Okay. VES, you, you referenced Charleston, uh Charleston, South Carolina. We actually sent a contingent of about nine or eleven of us down there to train with them because they were performing VES before our department really kind of adopted it as, as maybe a primary uh, search tactic that when it needs to be. So uh you but you having that size up and doing that 360 and maybe the search uh the rescue officer that's assigned to to take a couple companies and be a search group as we talked about before like taking that size up and being like hey let's search here the hose line is being advanced through that front door but it's quicker for us to go through these windows or maybe the the side door off the garage is a quicker way because in south carolina everybody, nobody really has basements. We all have garages and that's a lot of times that's what people walk through is every day that I don't use my front door. I use my garage uh, door, you know, so maybe that's the quickest access point if, if possible. So.
1: And, and talking to the, you know, talking to the owners and sometimes in some cases, uh, you know, and I've been on some fire scenes where, where people have just walked right by the owners and you know, they know the house better than anybody. Right. Um, now, right. Like, Hey, yeah. where, where's the fire? What's my best way to get in there? That five second conversation can save lots of time and also help, I think, with with size up a little bit, too. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can get information about uh, whether they whether you think people are in there or not. Of course, there's a debate whether you 100 percent believe them at all at all times. But they they in most cases, they're going to give you that layout. They're going to tell you what they saw as they were as they were walking out. And then as you're doing your size up, right, like you can add that to it. And you mentioned that like in your ongoing size up there, that you're, you're getting different reports from different people and you have to keep putting that together. And uh, so, so let's move to the backseat. Is this something that you kind of started to do in the backseat that now helps you in the front seat? And and what would you recommend for those firefighters that are coming up on the scene? Uh, you know, what should they be thinking or looking or doing?
2: Yeah. You, that's actually a really good point that you brought up about when you ask the occupant or the homeowner. Typically, what's the first question that probably everyone thinks about? Hey, is everyone out of the house? And once they answer yes, they're like, okay, great. Just go stand in the front yard. And there, there's no follow up questions. And a little bit for that, too, like what your alarm center, or your dispatcher is doing, right? You have an MDT, they're typing away. And maybe the, the caller says, hey, it started in my kitchen. Um, you know, my kitchen uh, was on fire, but that there's only it comes out as a structure fire. And unless you like search through the notes and hit the tab down button, you can finally find, oh, hey, the, the location is gonna be in the kitchen and maybe you can have that conversation with the, the homeowner or everything. But yeah, as a backstep guy, I think I think it almost, I guess, would start reverse for me. Hey, find out what my officer's thinking, what their thought process is, and as an officer to teach that back down to the firefighter. So, uh, you know, it's okay to ask. I think it's it's t- absolutely 100% okay to ask your officer, maybe post-incident, hey, why? what was your thought process? What were you thinking? What are you looking for? Uh, because you, you teach the first initial person to go through a 360 that's an engine officer. So why why not have the other people go and look too? And then maybe you, as you understand the actions and the thought process of the of the person riding in the front front right seat, then now the back step guys can start understanding that process. And maybe if the person is having a bad, I don't know, a bad moment, or they're just, they're overwhelmed, they're task saturated, they're able to almost like fill in like, hey, we didn't go look at this. This is our routine thing would be for us to go do this process, we missed it. So but I would almost would start maybe with a company officer and then teaching that back down to the backstep people.
1: Yeah. And and that's a a great approach. Now I, I'm moving from backseat to front seat on a normal basis from the standpoint of, you know, on
2: this list, off this list, or I'm
1: on the list, but like some days I'm acting, some days I'm not. Yeah. So you just
2: like kind of like a fill in basis as needed for your organization.
1: I'm having a blast, man. Cause I drove one day, the next day I'm riding backwards. uh, And then the next day I'm on, on, I'm in the front right. And, but with that comes a lot of different ha- helmets, hat, not yeah. hats in this case, but different helmets um, and, and kind of looking at things with a different lens. Um, and w- which is why I really like, like, I go back to your article because I'm like, oh man, this makes sense sitting in every single seat, you know? So you start with your, your size up. It's an ongoing size up. Um, and you, you mentioned some other things in there too. Not just, just don't look for the traditional things. Obviously you got to look at smoke area, look at construct building construction, but every step along the way, there's something that you can improve on to help you with this, this decision, right? You mentioned building construction and territory. How, how does that play into your decision-making?
2: So uh, it's you have to get into your areas and your districts and look. And one thing about Myrtle Beach that's crazy that w- what we're hoping that a bunch of our guys would take advantage of was there's so much new construction being built. There's framed houses everywhere, right? And so we would just get out and um, go into these neighborhoods that are being built, so like almost hundreds of houses, and we would make relationships with these these builders. And we'd be like, we want to get in on a Saturday morning or on a Sunday morning. Let's just let us stretch through or and if it's sheet rocked and like painted, well, let's at least look at the floor plans. And a, a really important thing that came out of that was one of our areas that's new to us, we call the market common they're doing the Charleston flat style houses, right? Everyone wants to have the nice painted houses. It's nice, it's pretty, it's Charleston looking. And, uh, but one thing that we didn't anticipate or thought about was the use of pocket doors. There are so many pocket doors being installed inside of these houses. And so when we're teaching VES training to all of our new recruits, you know, they're expecting some type of door to be either swing in or swing out from them. And they may get to these, these bedrooms that these uh, these people want, these pocket doors and uh there's seven or eight pocket doors put in the every bedroom it's the it's the galley to the pantry like everything is divided and segmented in these in these pocket doors and it's funny because when you ask the builders they're like we hate putting these things in because our number <laughs> one thing our number one thing on our punch list every every year the house is new is to fix these pocket doors that have come off the track because some idiots carrying a laundry basket the door's halfway open and they walk right through it and so it's it's just interesting because that district of the city, like when I, when I worked there as a company officer on an engine company, if one of these areas I'd be like, Hey, like we had to be prepared for pocket doors. Cause we may have to search and look. And what we may think is easy to compartmentalize may not be the case anymore because we, we may have a hard time finding these recessed doors.
1: Yeah. And, and if they're, if they're coming off their tracks really easily, obviously right. we're not very uh, delicate with things in those situations. So mm-hmm. I can, I can see, Right. You're doing your search. You're trying to find a door A, You're normally used to doing uh, finding a handle. uh, And all of a sudden you find this thing. And of course, you probably will knock it right off track. But then now you've created your flow path and you have to. That's ongoing size up. Right. And so now you're this plays into the next question. I'm I got to look at smoke. I got to look at the environment. Um, and and you put in, in, you know, you talk in your article, you know, what do I see? What do I hear? What else is going on? And this is where, you know, you have to instill this kind of thought process into every single individual. So what, what's the key to that? Like other than having a conversation like this?
2: Yeah, it's, so we go into the command. So our our default command mode is a sterile environment. So our instant commander shows up there, there's expected to stay in the SUV. We have a command, uh, you know, in the back of the truck that you can, there's a bunch of boards with really cool Velcro and, and computer screens for MDTs. But initially for the first 10, 15 minutes, I'm probably gonna be behind the steering wheel. Hey, they even gave me a cool little board that goes over my steering wheel so I can write stuff down on it. But so with that thought process, I'm not in a really immersive, atmosphere. Like I'm not doing 360s myself. So I would be up front with my officers and be like, listen, you have to give me intelligence. You have to give me information because not every incident can I make it to the front yard. I'm not posted up on the A side of the structure. I think the last uh, fire I ran prior to, to transferring over to training, I was like two or three blocks down because they they called a second alarm right away. And I didn't want to be in the way from these other responding units. So, I'm not even looking at the structure. I'm relying on radio information. I'm relying on what my safety is telling me when they do the secondary size up, and so having that real conversation with them and being like, "You need to pro- be proactive in your messages," and they also have to be very pertinent, so that we can, so I can make these decisions and either give you the the go ahead or, or the hey, we gotta, we're doing something different.
1: Yeah, you got to be the eyes and ears for me. Yep. And you have to get in the mindset that you know, you have to look for these things, you know, conditions, actions, you got to give a can report. And I, and I know Janelle, you, you've put together a lot of material for this, uh, you know, go or no go, um, resources. And, and I think you're kind of smiling because this is a theme that's been in a couple of different articles. Um, y- you know, is this all sounding very familiar, uh, to, uh, to you, based off of your other conversations and articles that you had to, uh, you know, publish for this.
0: Oh yeah, there's there's so much commonality amongst all of these articles, and you know, in the digital edition, we have a great piece by Dr. Reggie Freeman talking about the mindset element of it, which you guys have been touching on, and and so much of this comes down to nuance, right? It's very complex. It's not black and white here. Um, And then we've got Vince's article um, about vertical ventilation. And then we've got battalion chiefs uh, Chad Christensen Christensen and Kevin Lewis writing about the search element that you guys also touched on. Um, And outside the digital edition, we've got a ton of content about Go No Go in other contexts, so not even on the fire ground. We've got Hazmat, Technical Rescue, Wildland, Active Shooter Events. Uh, we've got a piece on policy, which kind of brings it all together, but there's so much, even on the ones that aren't even fire ground related, you know, so much of what you said applies and what comes to mind for me as being an outsider, as a lay person here, you know, Vince, I'm curious because of how complex and nuanced these go, no-go decisions are, what's the best way to train on it? Is it does it all come back to scenario-based training? Because I mean, it seems like we can provide as much information as we can in these digital editions, which is great. Um, But then you got to couple it right with that real world experience.
2: Yep. Yep. So like I said, you're all going to have personalities. You're all going to have things that are different, but my biggest, I think teachable thing for me that I used to do to build the trust and the rapport with my officers was after action reviews. Like, you know, it's okay. Hey, we're going to make mistakes. That's, that's going to be part of the job, but to have these like real, uh, you know, take the time to not. Hot washes are are different. Hot washes are cool. Like less like when you're the, the scenes right over. A the lot there's a lot of emotion normally tied with those. There's a lot of stuff like maybe some pointing fingers occurs, you know, uh, and you just get kind of things off your chest. But to actually go and have, you know, verifiable with data, either you have video recording. Like we fly drones almost on everything now. It's just kind of the, oh, the cool. new technology, you know. And so, like, we have usually drone footage. We have there's so many cameras inside the city, so don't come down here doing crazy things, Janelle. And so we'll get like <laughs> so, like, if there's a if not there's
1: 1984, a fire, yeah, Janelle. Yeah,
2: we'll catch 84.
1: You we... 94. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. That's right. Wait, Call I would have been 84. Yeah.
2: You better pay for parking, we'll find you. Like, yes. Yeah. It just uh it just we have so much like technology that kind of almost records incidents, catch incidents, but to bring the audio back to bring these uh these things to make everything relevant. And he's had these conversations and then be like, hey, we're going to do better. We're moving on. We admitted mistakes. I've made mistakes. And almost like you had this pact now that you developed that the next time we're going out the door, we're we're building upon our performance basically. Yeah. And uh, you know, and the and the show, like, hey, like a lack of information hurt us here, okay. The things i'm trying to, to to have you guys do or to, to um, we're trying to teach or come par- apart and like hey maybe my lack of information hurt you guys too you're right i probably should have gave you the green light and you know what i didn't get enough information i felt uncomfortable and it is what it is but now that you can explain your side and i now maybe can see a different aspect of it because i have a drone view or something i didn't have at that time so a lot of the after action reviews has been paramount in a lot of like the building process and the get, getting those brick by brick um you know, I guess like a, a playbook in place for us to kind of perform uh, well on the fire ground together.
0: Yeah, it, you know, I just have to jump in on the after action review for a second. And, and one of my favorite headlines ever, article titles, is Captain Brad French uh, with Dayton, Ohio, who wrote for our What Firefighters Will Want survey project last year. And it was shocking the number of firefighters uh, or departments that do not engage in after action mm-hmm. reviews um i can't remember the stat off the top of my head but um captain french wrote this great article the headline was after action reviews because the perfect fire does not exist yeah. i mean yeah. it doesn't it, there will never yeah. be a perfect fire right i mean have either of you ever been on a perfect fire i can't imagine right
2: no, it was probably a trash can, honestly. Like, you know, <laughs> right. and I really wish yeah. I did better. I you know, and yeah, you're you're totally you're totally right. And some of my weaknesses for that was like I was almost to the point where I was so obsessed where I wanted to make sure everybody was there, you know, because I didn't want anyone to miss any information that could come from it to the point where we actually maybe missed a couple of opportunities because you know, four or five shifts out, we're starting to cross the threshold where it's almost too late, right? And so uh we just were like, hey, let's get the key players there, whether if we have to do it over two different shifts or whatever, but we have to get the information done. And you have to make it worthwhile to your department and your organization. Like it has to be teachable for everybody. So, you know, send, whether you think no one reads your emails or not, send what you've compiled off to all of your peers, the rest of the team, and maybe somebody like there's a quote that's out there, a wiser man learns from the mistakes of others, you know, like, just send it out there so that they can know and it's almost like your efforts haven't gone in vain. So,
1: yeah, yeah I, and fun. I think to 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 add to that and an ongoing theme with a lot of the leaders that we've had on the podcast about being better is you also then have to be open to making operational or organizational changes based off of what you're seeing on these after action reviews not mm-hmm. to a point where Hey, we're pointing the finger. It's uh, organizationally, can we become stronger and better as an organization if we change this? Like, every, people are using different terminology, so let's hone in and make sure we're we're focusing on communications, right? So these after actions then can
2: almost help you focus uh, where your weaknesses are. Correct. Right. Right. And it, the crazy thing when. Uh I guess when you gave me a when you gave me a couple options to write for the go, no, go, go or no, go, um, you know, this uh, thing you were compiling, I think like my two options were like vertical vent and I think like technical rescue, maybe were the only two that were still left. Right. And I was like, oh man, I feel like I'm an expert in neither one of these, but I'm going to (laughs) go and and dabble in tactical ventilation. So, but cause it was, it was true. Like when I started my organization in 2007, we quote unquote truck culture, it was it was not really existent okay and so there wasn't a whole lot of um going to the roofs and doing vertical ventilation honestly in state fire our state fire academy i got a certificate in both positive pressure ventilation and positive attack ventilation because that was kind of the the trend back then in 2007. put the fan in the door simultaneously with the attack line hopefully you have some driver there holding the fan so that the hose the inch and three-quarter hose doesn't knock it over and that, that was kind of our, our thought process and now is our our I guess our the rules that we of engagement. So um, you know, definitely a little bit before me, we had some some incident commanders that had some fires that benefit benefited from doing vertical ventilation. And you talk about the organizational like shifting. Well, you know, this was before like our after actions kind of like we became a formal thing, but it's it's sort of like this. Everyone looks around like, oh my God, are we gonna get in trouble because we went on the roof? And then no big chiefs say anything, right? Well, I guess they, they didn't care, or I guess we were allowed to do it, right? So, but everyone goes, hey, I guess we're allowed to do it because it's way better than saying they didn't care. And so then you, you we kind of uh, have to, gone through this process where it's it's been more of a, uh, you know, like a 50-50 kind of, um, I guess, a, a rule for us. So like, hey, we're not afraid to get on a roof. We're gonna do it if it's uh, if it's beneficial. And that's some of the things I've mentioned are indicators in our, in our article that we're gonna go and it's green light for the roof, so.
0: Um, yeah, and I like that because there's the the macro look at it, which is the department and the organizational culture and approach to things, right? But then there's also the individual, and I just want to call out this quote from your article: "There are individuals who prefer starting a fan over pulling the cord of a chainsaw, or vice versa, no matter the conditions. Mm-hmm. That is flawed decision making. And basically, I just I like that because you know." The department, like I said, might have an approach that they take kind of on a global scale and then individuals who have their personal preferences. And mm-hmm. really, that can't be the driving factor in these decision-making processes, right?
2: Right, right. I think that you are limiting yourself so greatly by just having a one, almost being like a one-trick pony when you show up, okay? Okay. And if it doesn't work, like there's no recovery because you're, you're not planned. You didn't plan for it. You thought that that your fan starting or your chainsaw work is is going to be the absolute to the, to the incident. And it, in a lot of cases it's not. And I kind of even go back. I'm not sure if you're going to mention this, but I talk about, Hey, just because we did do the vertical event, we're probably going to finish off with some type of horizontal, right? So it's the best yeah. of both worlds, you know? Right. So I'm, we're even keeping the, the, pool chain fan guy. We're we're keeping him happy too on the scene because guess what? You're probably going to be able to start your fan to get everything done in the in the structure. So but yeah you're absolutely right. It's like the it's the whole thought process. If we had an engine guy, an officer that every structure got a two and a half pooled, I mean it's not real deal. It's not real life. And he would have some hard uh, hard lessons to learn, I think. If that was his his thought process, or always his go to uh, command to his backseat firefighters, they probably get to the point where they would stop inviting him over for dinner just because they're so upset that they're pulling two and a half on everything. So, <laughs> it's just it is what it is. Yeah. And your and your best feedback comes from a lot of times your companies. So, yeah.
1: And looking at the end results, it's great that you have data and video. Not a lot of departments have that, but I think it it also goes back to and and you had pointed this out. Um, uh, chief Freeman pointed this out and we've had guests, um, you know, chief Brugman also says, you know, you, you look at safety and then what's the best thing for Mr. And Mrs. Smith, right? Like if, mm-hmm. if they're trapped in there, our job is to try to, to get them out. Obviously yep. we try to do it as, as safely as we can. And, um, and I think one of the things with the go, no go, you, you have to keep Mr. And Mrs. Smith in mind, right? Um, yeah, because that's who we work for. And that's why we're here. And and that's the other thing that, you know, I've been very fortunate. That, like I said, off uh, before we started the podcast, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm getting to talk to cool people all the time like you. And, and, but there are these themes and the, the the themes with successful organizations and successful training officers is, look, I'm training you to provide better service to Mr. And Mrs. Smith and to be safe. And then, you know, and, and you summarize that too. your safety, you have to look at, but we also have that job to do. And we know that job is dangerous sometimes, right? Like we have right. to keep telling ourselves that. Like it's not gonna go away. Um, and so what would you say to somebody who's like, well, you know, I don't know, the you know, UL says that this is gonna be hot and I, I've never seen the survivable stuff. Um, you know, personally, I mean, what would you tell that individual and and you know, how do you get people to understand it's about Mr. and Mrs. Smith again?
2: Yeah, I think you have to go back to day one when you have like your Uh, family member pin you with your badge that says whatever organization you're a part of and that oath you know like the the oath keepers that are out there and that like big push at like grassroots movements that's that's there now um i've I've been very blessed my organization we've we've always been um i hate to use the buzzword aggressive but we have been especially in fire attack like we're still an organization that the guys run to the trucks when there's an alarm uh, we're, we're quick out. We we're very uh, lucky with how fast our response time usually is to us. And so there's always been that culture of get in, get in, put the fire out, get in, put the fire out. So, uh, i have never, we never were really touched by that survivability profiling thing, never kind of, um, I guess crossed our, our screens or, and it wasn't assigned on our LMS learning to us at all. So, uh, you know, our, our culture for that was, has always been pretty good. The, uh, But it is it is challenging. I think that uh, especially we talked about, um, you know, you where your organizations you bring in transfers in, you know, guys that have maybe 10, 15 years of experience or are are some um, service credits someplace else. They have maybe relocated and now they're they're onboarding in a very short time with a new organization, and they may be the doubters. They may be the ones that hey, we've always been safe. We've always been um, we've always kind of used the survivability profiling and everything, and maybe. It was more about uh, the me versus, versus the them uh, philosophy. And I guess you have to just have those people understand that you're going into an inherently risky job. And um, at the end of the day, you're going to do it as safely as possible. And then in my position, it's like, we're going to train you to do your job and make the best decisions. And uh, and you're going to get Mr. and Mrs. Smith out and yourself. You're all coming home.
1: That's it. That's that's the key. It's a calculated aggression, right? It's mm-hmm. not yeah. like... Uh, somehow
0: so reckless there's a yeah it's not between. a
1: reckless it's calculated yeah. and janelle and i've had this conversation too uh, with uh, you know a lot of guests and off 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 of uh camera and off a of podcast right janelle like you know somehow aggressive got this kind of like oh <laughs> we're not you know like yeah yeah, yeah. yeah right like well, there it, was
0: like a pendulum swing i mean you know it's, it's great that there was a uh, push for more of a safety culture of course but then somehow in that process it was almost like the pendulum swung too far and started saying that the word aggressive was somehow this negative thing and that meant that equated to reckless and we've had several articles in the past year or so where people have questioned you know are we so focused on firefighter safety now that we've forgotten Mr. and and Mrs. Smith's their safety and what we're supposed to do. And everything is just, oh, we just have to stay outside now forever, you know, Yeah. and kind of revisiting that and making sure that it's like, okay, let's not misunderstand the message here of safety Mm -hmm. culture. Yeah. And I think
2: there's, there's probably two things that come to my mind to, to touch on that. So relating to my personal experience, uh, as, when I was an athlete in college, our head coach would just, everything was aggressive, like in football, okay? And if a guy got hurt, he'd be like, you're probably too timid. You play timid, you're going to get hurt. You got to play aggressive, play through the whistle, play through the whistle, right? <laughs> and that was just like a mantra that was, that was taught and done. And, and when I came over as a battalion chief and I, I did my shift expectations, I actually replaced the word aggressive with attack. And I'd be really like honest with the guys. I'd be like, hey, we're not going to use aggressive because it's so polarizing and people are getting so upset. I just want you to attack every situation, okay? Attack the roster when it changes. Attack the uh, report when you have to do it. Attack the uh, the fire. If you're assigned a search, attack it, all right? And it just, it's just crazy, like, kind of how that, that word almost, like, it makes people go more on their heels than it, it does to kind of, like, drive through the scenario, the scene that they have to do. So... It's pretty crazy, but yeah, but being an athlete and stuff like you're, you're going 110%. Like that's just how you're taught to play the sport. So almost if you like want to relate, um, sports to firefighting, like a lot of people do, like, it's the same thing. you got to go 110%. Your effort has to max out, has to peg out because typically you get the best results and you normally win when you're not just going 50%. You're probably going to have a a higher losing percentage.
1: Yeah. And that doesn't mean you don't calculate a, a plan B and a plan C. It's right. just, here's what we decided to do. We're going to put all, all of our efforts into it we're, and continually evaluate, are we are we making progress? Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? And then there's that, you know, there's the no-go decision where you say, we got to try something different, um, yeah. right? Like, and everyone ha- gets a process in place. And 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 I think you summarize it great. You, it's based off of your experience. It's based off of uh, conversations. It's based off of your education, uh, environment. You know, you have to play all of these things up in part of your size up, right? Is there any, what what element did we miss on on the go or no go kind of conversation?
2: Um, just about the size up, like, so with, with me, I guess in my personal thing, and I guess relating to a little bit, was the comfort, like you talked about wearing three different helmets, right? You got your back seat, your driver and your officer. Well, there's one of them you're, you're extremely comfortable in. You'd rather probably be doing than the other two. And there's probably one if you really had to like, Dissect it, be like, I'd rather not be doing this because there's some level of uncomfortableness or something to it, right? Or you just maybe dislike it, right? And uh, so, one of the things I tell my guys, like, and I reference it, if I had an officer that was very proactive at giving me information and they wanted to basically do something, they could cohorse me, okay? If they gave me very good information and were already being proactive and we're going 110% and we're attacking the situation like my expectations were. They're, I referenced this in the article, they're probably getting the green light more than more than not because they're typically making educated decisions and the fact that they were so, um, you know, like dialed in. Like that was, it's very hard to, uh, to remove that element. Once they're already the momentum's there, right? We talk about the big momentum. Once it starts, it's hard to stop, right? But you also have to be strong enough to recognize, hey, we need to stop. Okay. It's 20 minutes in. I got, I should probably do a par check and we're not making any progress. And that's where I would reference the can reports. These can reports need to come back and they got it. They, if they're not favorable, man, we got to look at a different plan and we probably got to start doing stuff and changing the direction. So, or, or we're not going to have a very favorable outcome. Yeah.
1: And that's where you rely on someone else too, for giving yeah. their size up. Cause you're seeing one thing. And if they're seeing something totally different, You know, okay, hold on. What's really going on here? You know, and that's where ICs come in and say, "Hey, I need to take information from here, 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 make make that decision." But but we also need to, as you elaborated earlier, you got to give me the right information, help me, help you, and exactly, and and that's where communication and teamwork and all this comes together. Um, And I think it sums up not just vertical ventilation. uh, In in your article, you you do give an example of of maybe when when to and when not, or when you didn't use vertical ventilation, you know, sorry guys, but you know, you got it done with horizontal. Um, but it also goes for search. Um, it, I think it goes for a lot of decisions, whether it's fire ground related or not, honestly, it's personal decisions. Um, you know, and, and so having conversations, doing the trainings, um, all this stuff is, is, is so imperative to, I think, growth and, um, not only a, a personally, uh, right. But also for the fire service, and speaking of conversations you have a podcast yourself where you get to have some of these conversations and, and the roles reverse a little bit tell us a little bit about
2: that i do so uh it's called beyond the stretch and my wife always makes fun of me because she's like is it like a yoga podcast i was like, just going to were- ask if, is Dude, that like, like you know <laughs> what were you think all the other all the other names yeah, all the other names were taken right i don't know uh so and it, to be to be honest uh, uh my uh my colleague my co-host He's uh, he's awesome. He actually works in a different organization where uh, we're mutual aid friends, basically. And then our friendship kind of just basically grew after that, after almost finding out, hey, we both grew up in Cleveland. He works for Horry County Fire Rescue. I work for Myrtle Beach. But the biggest thing that was out of our relationship was that he lived inside the city I worked in. okay. and then I work where I live, where he works, like he's first battalion at. Right. Mm -hmm. So like we had this mutual investment in one another, like I don't want your guys mm-hmm. to suck and you sure as heck don't want my guys to suck, right? And that kind of was like the catalyst to it. And then um, one day we're just like, we should do a podcast. And we kind of kicked the can around. And then one uh, Christmas, he's just like, hey man, I got the thing from Amazon, like we're gonna start, like, let's just see how it goes. So it's been a, it's been a couple of years. It's like, like I said, it's kind of been therapeutic. It's It's been fun to kind of talk. Uh, about it and our our names i'm cousin Vinny, and then he's uncle mike (laughs) and and it kind of started because uh the guys when he'd come over we'd have him over for dinner or we would train together they would always start referring to him as oh is uncle mike coming is he coming to the training is is he coming to the station and then it kind of just was like hey that's kind of funny so but it's but it's been good it's been a lot of fun um like i wish we could record a little bit more than we can but with my change in schedule and stuff it's been a little bit challenging but it's it's been fun
1: and topics are just whatever you guys, you know, training topics yeah. or yeah. Anything that yeah. comes, comes to mind basically. Huh? Yep.
2: We have a, yeah. we have a shared notes that we, that we have. And, uh, to be honest, we don't have a script, so we just kind of hit the record button and we start with a couple like general topics and we just kind of see where the conversation takes us. And yeah, sometimes as you, as you guys can attest to this, sometimes you have to, to record a couple times, uh, you know, Never. We, Never. yeah. Especially if like we're stuck in like uh, his his daughter's room or like we're or maybe I'm stuck <laughs> in my garage like I am now and like you you pick up like different things but, but it's it's been cool to to do and there's been a few people that have like reached out to me like uh, we had somebody email us um, not too long ago from uh, like Maryland and stuff you are like oh that's pretty cool and thank you for giving me uh give us some feedback on one of our more recent articles or uh, podcasts, so.
1: Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it is therapeutic. Uh, trust me. I I know poor Janelle has to do most of the work with this and I just get to have a lot of the fun and have these conversations, but um, you know, a, it, it ultimately we all, you know, if you're in this for the right reasons, you're just trying to get better. And it's one of the right. ways that, that you can get better is having conversations with people in neighboring apartments and um, you know, other chiefs and other training chiefs and, and talking about, some scenarios that they've been in where what did they learn from a scenario? Cause that's how you can learn. And then you pass it on. And so, you know, we can't thank you enough for being here for writing the article, but you're not done yet. Okay. We have, we, we do some personal questions. We call it hot seat questions just a um, you know, quick kind of, you know, 30 second ones. They can come from all different, who knows, who knows where they come from. Uh, okay. some people email us the questions. I always tell uh, the joke that my mom and Janelle's mom come up with most of them, which probably is true. Right. Janelle maybe all right so you you can start uh she's got actually got some good ones already prepared so i'll have janelle start with it
0: all right well we talked about the podcast being therapeutic but i want to know how you blow off steam anything that's blow. pod how you blow off some steam
2: so uh it used to be uh working out i'm a avid swimmer uh especially uh, since uh myrtle beach has started an ocean rescue team i'm i'm uh, one of the usla lifeguards that we have and uh, even though it's still challenging and I'm, I don't get in the ocean as much as I, I'd like to, because of the new schedule, um, swimming is definitely a, a passion of mine. And that's definitely one of the ways if I'm not in the pool, at least two or three times, uh, a week, everyone around me, including my wife kind of knows. And it's like, you just need to go swimming.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Perfect.
1: All right. I got a new one here. When's the last time you were wrong and how did you handle it?
2: <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, probably, uh, this today actually in training. Um, like I said, I I'm behind the curve when it comes to to knowing everything. I'm actually, to be honest, getting through my IOWs to get some of my instructor certs for the state. And like I said, I have the captain that, that kind of caught me, uh, giving some wrong information today to the recruits and, uh, they all know, cause I'm, I'm pretty transparent and, and straight up about it. But I was like, well, you know, uh, I got to teach you the curriculum. Like, that's like my joke, you know, Hey, we got to teach you the curriculum. Cause I'm, I'm very, I try to relate everything to basically my experiences, but guess what? My, my experiences aren't going to be number 33 on the questions on the test tomorrow. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's probably the last, that's probably the last time I, I was wrong was today was delivering some material to the recruits.
0: I think I, there's some great quote I'm trying to remember, but somebody very important like Colin Powell or something, Somebody once said something about, you know, if I'm not wrong, like three times a day, it's like having a good day, right? Like every day we make mistakes and we just got to learn from them. Um, All right. So next question for me is I want to know if you've got any good uh, broken bone or good scar stories you can share with us.
2: Uh, So uh, I had a bunk bed when I was a kid. And uh, I broke my collarbone jumping out of the top bunk when I was probably about eight years old or so. Uh, but probably one of my more, um, I guess, like really bad incidents, uh, we had, well, I came from Cleveland uh, before I moved down here. We had a ski club in school, and uh, I actually got taken out by like an older guy uh, coming down the hill, and it uh, broke my ribs. And I was actually taken down the remainder of the hill, like packaged by the ski patrol people, oh, wow. uh, ended my skiing, ended my skiing career. And it wasn't, it wasn't because I was like seriously injured. It was just because I was so scared after the, after the fact that I just never uh, cared to do it again. So yeah, that would be then you can focus
1: more on swimming though.
2: Yeah, yeah. Then I went in the went in the pool. I there's a less of a chance of the old lady doing water aerobics in the lane next to me uh, colliding with me. So <laughs> I'm uh, I was yeah, totally caught off guard. I was skiing with a bunch of my friends, and I was I was on such a roll. I was so close, like to getting my um my black diamond, like the highest uh, like you know level you could be to do all the cool moguls and stuff. And like I said, this guy came out of nowhere and, and took me out.
1: It happens. You it but does. you 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 made a course correction. Like you got a no-go on that particular day and you made a course correction late relating it back to what we talked about. Uh, and yeah. one thing to th- about what we talked about today on Go no go, what's the best piece of advice you got from, um, one of your mentors,
2: uh, to basically, man, honestly, to be vulnerable, I think was one of the things that was always kind of, um, was brought to me. Uh, my, one of my biggest mentors that I, I take, I guess in the fire service, uh, you know, one of the, one of the chief officers I work with here, but a a coach of mine in college was definitely my, uh, one of my biggest mentors, one of the best human beings I've ever probably uh, got to be around. And that was his message was like, be, you know, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to kind of make mistakes because it's kind of a long story, but I'll tell it as condensed as I can. Uh, Prior to him, this person being my position coach in college, I was at a, I had uh, to deal with a person that was very intolerant. And, uh did not tolerate mistakes being made on the on the playing field very well so uh we kind of almost lived in this like scared uh uh timid mo- mindset right because uh we had a lot of guys that are kind of like very equal in athletic ability and he thought it was a uh, the proper way to handle that was if i made mistakes they'd yank us and, and and put us on second team or something and uh when this uh coach came in coach fox came in and, and took us over my my senior year like He was not that way at all. He was actually very tolerant and, uh, coached us and was like, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to make mistakes. And, uh, (laughs) there's a fire truck right there. How about that? There it is. And that's uh, perfect timing for that. uh, that. And that's how, uh, and that was something I think that was always kind of instilled with me from him. So,
1: um, I think that's a perfect way to wrap up because it's been a theme for, you know, a lot of leaders in the fire service to say, look, if if we're all here to get better and this goes back to what we talked about which is why Janelle your your name for this podcast is spot on it's about better every shift and um and that's really what it comes down to if you're vulnerable enough to say hey I might be in leadership I don't have all the answers but together we're going to we're going to find them and we're going to discover things about ourselves along the way i think that's what it's all about right and that mm-hmm. that goes back to making better decisions in these high stressful uh scenarios where it's a go or no go um so, very well said. Thanks for being a guest today. Um, you know, you can read your article in um, the uh, insert for Fire Rescue One. Uh, Janelle, where is the best place for them to go to get this great information?
0: They can go to firescue1.com forward slash go no go, all one word go no go. Um, and they can download the digital edition where uh, Vince's article is in there um, with three other articles. And then there's a host of other uh, great content as well on the Go No Go website. Like I mentioned earlier, the Tech Rescue, Hazmat, Active Shooter, Wildland Policies. We have even got an opinion piece on there really about what happens when people start judging each other's Go No Go decisions. Cause it is, you know, like been said, a very polarizing topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of good content there. irsc1.com forward slash go, no, go check it out. Thanks.
1: I'm going to say Vinny. Thanks chief yeah. Vinny. Uh, yeah. Anything else to add? Any last piece of advice for anybody listening just trying to get better?
2: No, uh, honestly, like uh just keep, keep up with the grind and understand that you're going to have days that you're not motivated, but just dig deep and understand and remind yourself constantly why you love the job and why you took it in the first place and typically that'll always help you get through your bad days
1: uh, again appreciate it very well said uh you can watch actually this p- podcast if you're listening to it um you know we're, we look pretty good today i actually did not wear a hat for the first time ever out of 20 some episodes so you can watch us on youtube for that at fire uh the fire rescue one youtube page um If you are listening and you like what you listen to, uh, if you have questions, you can reach us at bettereveryshift at firerescue1.com. Please rate, review the show, share it with your friends. Uh, We really appreciate you all listening. Uh, Most importantly, make sure that you learn something, do something, and share something to make you and those around you better every shift.